Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, only provocative conversations at the intersection of business, politics, and culture. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week's episode, Does Winning No Longer Matter? In our deep dive today, Simone Biles has dominated gymnastics in recent history, winning four Olympic gold medals and 19 world championships. She hasn't lost a major competition since 2013. But she's been marred in controversy this Olympics due to her decision to withdraw from the Games. We'll have a look at the various players in that decision and what it means for her legacy and for Olympic competition in general. And in Courage or Cringe, Ben and Jerry's blacklisted, Scarlett Johansson sues Disney, and Spotify claims editorial neutrality. Do states have a right to regulate their purchases to protect the interests of an American ally? Or are they overreaching when they penalize companies for issues on the global stage? Is an A-list lawsuit against a major media company evidence of elitist sour grapes for not making millions more on an already fat contract? Or is it an example of a corporation using COVID as an excuse to breach a contract that helped increase its share price? And finally, is a leading audio platform's leadership taking a bold step in solidifying free speech on its platform? Or is the CEO passing on the responsibility to navigate between fact and fiction to its consumers? All this, this week on TDR. Just sit here and whisper into the microphone for an hour and a half. See what happens when I turn the gain up really high. That is creepy. Isn't it creepy? It is creepy. Yeah, but nevertheless, it's a... It's a thing. It's an entire category people, people of content like on YouTube. So we are going to do the entire show in ASMR. That's not for real, but I thought I just could test uh, test out the game. This first story is actually super interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, it's one of those stories that I've read now three or four times, and I've changed my perspective on it like eight times in the story. Yeah. Like I came out with a defined point of view. It was a knee jerk thing. I was like, this, I don't think we ever talked about it, which is perfect. No, I know. Like this is, this is the way it is. It means this. Then I started digging into it deeper and I was like, actually, no, I think it means this. And then I flipped again. So it, it's a, uh, it's a very interesting story. And so I'm glad ha, we're doing it on our have deep you, dive. Uh, have you watched much of the Olympics? I, I have, but this is another topic that I think is interesting. I've watched all of it uh, on Roku. They do an Olympics recap. Like it's a, it's a shelf that they built for content. And so if you just open up 2021 Olympics, they give you like three minute clips of like all the different sports and they summarize the whole thing. Oh, I have Roku TV. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't actually done that. I haven't watched a single thing actually happen live and I don't have TV, but my bigger, the bigger point that it brings up for me is do we need sports to be live anymore? Because in my own life, I don't watch sports live anymore. Yeah. Although I think it's tough on, um, 
Yeah, I, I never I, thought I, I'd like it, but I end up that I right, don't. Right, that right, I, right. it actually doesn't matter as much yeah. as I thought it would. Well, in the in the case of Olympics, it's actually I think is really helpful when it's not live because there is so much that is happening all within a short period of time that it makes it much easier to kind of go back and forth. And even some of those events take a long time, even though the actual participation is really short. Like gymnastics, a lot of waiting around. Yeah. Track and field is a perfect example of sitting around forever. Mm-hmm. I think I told you this, but when I was in college, I, uh, I, I, my girlfriend at the time was a, uh, a runner. Uh-huh. She was a, in, her and her sister did like the four by 100. She was on the 100 or 200, I'm blanking now, and also did long jump. Were you a runner in college too? Or no, you no, 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 much not, later? not at all. No, not even a little bit. Um, yeah, I got the freshman 50, whatever, boy, you know, I, <laughs> I put on. I think like, it's the freshman ten. Jesus. Exactly, yeah, you may have gone a little I, overboard I, with your pound six, gainage. Yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely um, freshman defeated 50. that. Whew. Yeah, I <laughs> cruised right big, through that ten pound mark. It's a big um, boy. But yeah, but you you go to these events and you're just sitting there just waiting around forever, forever to see the event. So I think from my perspective, I could totally see. I, I still think the best moment, at least one of the best moments. Mm-hmm. Did you see the the high jump uh, final? Between no. the, the it's, it's a great video. Just look it up. There's basically these guys were battling, right? And the two of the top three were from Qatar and from Italy, right? These guys were doing high jumps, and they kept on. They basically oh. got all of their jumps mm-hmm. until they got to the very last uh, height, which I, frankly I forget what it is, right? And once they got to the to the, top, to the final height. Neither one of them was able to clear it, and they gave like three chances, I guess, right? And at the end of it, after it, the Italian guy went second, and he wasn't able to clear it, and it was their first miss for both of them. Like they had gotten all their jumps up to that point. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the the judge comes up to him and tells him, "Hey, like, look, we can do a a jump off kind of thing. You know, we can figure it out." Right? That's a thing. I guess. I mean, when they, they had the exact same height, basically. Well, yeah, because they both were tied, right? Oh, so they had it, hit okay. every single height. Usually, that level of until of, they got to the um, until they got to the, that, that final height, and then they both missed it. Right. I guess what I'm saying is, as a sport, that's one of those rare sports where the bar tech literally is set at a number, and you either exceed it or you don't. Whereas right. in other track and field sports. You can go a millimeter farther. Right, and right, usually, right. that's the difference yeah, between are, first and second that's place. That's right. So these are, they're setting it. And uh, the guy from Qatar said, like, well, can we have two golds? Can we both get gold? And the, the Very judge, millennial. And the him. judge, like, yeah, well, yeah, actually you can. And they both looked at each other and, you know, they agreed. They're on the spot and they both got gold. It was, it's like the best sporting scene that I've seen in such a long time. Yeah, but, it says bronze so much gets, about, but well, then is bronze silver? No. So there's a bronze, of course. Right, so, so there's, there's no two golds and one bronze. Uh, yeah, I think I said it was. I See, think I, I would have, I would have complained if I was the bronze. I would have wanted the silver. Uh, yeah, he didn't earn it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, su- it was such an awesome like mo- a moment of competitiveness because these guys have been perfect until that moment, mm-hmm. right? They were doing you know a hell of a job, and and also of like you know of actually like celebrating the sport. And so, yes. And, and in both cases, I believe for both countries, I want to say it was the first time either country had gotten gold in the high jump. So it was it was just a beautiful scene, right? A moment of symbolism that can change yeah, hearts and minds. There you go. Just, so it was it was awesome. It was awesome to see that. Um, and I got you a, beat though. There's another one. That and was that to me was my favorite moment so far. I didn't see it, but I saw the clip of it of the guy who apparently got as like a 1500 or 5000 uh, meter run, one of the long ones. And the guy, I think he was Ethiopian, it was East African, whatever it was, he got confused and start, and thought the race was over. Like, because you hit some benchmark and he just slowed yeah. down. And the guy behind him, who's, who was a Spaniard, 
started yelling at him to keep going because he hadn't hit the finish line. He was number two. Right. He's like, no, 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 keep going. But the guy didn't speak Spanish. So he finally like pushed him. He's like, you got to go across the line right. instead of overtaking the guy and getting first. So I, I thought that was kind of nice. I've seen, yeah, too. I've seen a couple of versions of those in the running set where people oh, have done have? that. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Uh, which is pretty really cool. Why is it easy to, how's it, like you would think it wouldn't be easy to get confused? Yeah, well, I've seen versions of that mostly like in, um, I forgot what I was watching. It might have been a triathlon or one of those, right? Yeah. Where someone just took the wrong turn and they were winning and they were going to win. And the guy was like, hey, you just. And when they interviewed the guy afterwards, he said, listen, I was, in no scenarios, I'm going to lose. Like this guy had already beaten me and he was just making a mistake. So I just didn't think it was right for me to win that way. Yeah. And I, like, yeah, and I, could, I could see no one to win that way too. Yeah, yeah. Although like, I, don't, I don't know what I would have done in the moment. What would you have done in the moment? You think you would have just kept running? Uh, no, I, I think it will be that kind of scenario, especially when you're that, when you're at that, being at that level and you're that far in front where, and it's clear that the person beating you like should, like is going to win. Not if it was like a super tight one. I think it's the, but it, it, it's the kind of thing mm-hmm. where even you may win and still get the medal, but everyone knows in starting with you that you didn't deserve it. It relates to the Simone Biles situation in a way because it brings up how much should, Com- the intangibles of the of the sport. In this case, comprehension of the rules. I mean, yeah, I get it. You got confused. I could get confused about throwing the javelin a particular way and lose, but my confusion caused that, and I'm still right. disqualified. So it does, in it, a way, relate to this Simone Biles thing. It has yeah. a lot of intangibles tied into actual physical performance. I think it's a little bit different in these kind of more like races where it's it's developing as you're in it, and you as a competitor realize that the other person is making a mistake is not because they're hurt or anything else where where or that you're beating them right um that that i could i could totally see people reacting that way which i think is is awesome when that when that happens um but but, but this moment with the, the high jumpers i think was just so great a with the fact that it wasn't even like brought up as an option anyone they even had kind of had to ask and i guess i read a little bit a little mini interview of the athlete from qatar and he said that him and the italian guy are actually like they're really good friends even outside of the sport oh, okay well, so there was like a moment there of like hey listen like we've we've done our part we did everything we had to do and like at this point like why not share in the glory and i thought it was like a, such a beautiful moment it's but it, but it's interesting you wonder how much of that like of the, apparently they made the decision on the spot but how much of that is precedential i mean does that mean that now if there's ever a tie that they can have that option to both get golds and you know what i mean like i'm it'll... guessing that was always an option in those kind of scenarios yeah, never heard of right it. um yeah. and maybe it just doesn't it rarely happens because i think what, what made it unique is that neither one had a fault the entire time leading up to that moment and what i think the way that they do if i remember correctly is that if someone has a fault even if they clear the same distance the same height i'm sorry then they get ranked as lower in terms of their right. You, you deduct their, from their overall from their overall right because they they've already made a mistake. Right in this case, they hadn't. And I think that's why it was that they were actually tied. And maybe that doesn't happen as often as as we would think. Interesting, but um, it does in any case bring to mind this very interesting situation with Simone Biles, who very famously kind of recused herself from the Olympics. Uh, I guess initially not. Not all of it, but then sort of eventually she just started withdrawing from different events. Right? Yeah, initially she withdrew from the the team event. Uh, that's what she first withdrew from. But yeah, there's so much about her in this story. And what was interesting, we were going to talk about this even before we got into the withdrawing, right? Because there was all this controversy around the scoring of her events, right? And look, I don't think we need to recap too much about the race of her because I think we, she's, she's obviously people know a lot about her, I think. But she's been super dominant. You know, over like the last eight years, she's won 
four Olympic golds. Just got a bronze in this last event that she did was the the balance beam. But before that, had four Olympic uh, golds and had nineteen world championship medals. Right, and actually had <laughs> I read this that was hilarious. She has four maneuvers named after her. When you have maneuvers named after you, like you are kicking so much butt at that point. Right? You are styling. I can't imagine um, the equivalent in, a, in another sport, like, uh, I don't know, you know, like a uh, soccer move. Actually, there yeah. are a couple. There's a, there's a, there's a very, very famous soccer move called the Cruyff, which is named after Johan Cruyff, who is a Dutch uh, forward. Um, and he did that, like, one move where you kind of, like, bring the ball behind your back as a way to kind of, like, make the guy break his ankles. Uh-huh. But it's extremely rare yeah. to have, like, a move named right. after you. Especially you have to be, four of them. <laughs> Especially for him. Uh, I don't know a lot about she, you. I was, she, I was hoping you could educate me on the gymnastics. Yeah, I know you know she, more about and it. She hasn't, by the amazing. way, just, just to go back to her, to her dominance, she hasn't lost in any major competition since her debut in 2013. That's when people say she's the GOAT. It's like this woman is super dominant, super dominant, right? So, look, the first part, and we'll, we'll talk about her withdrawing, but let's let's talk a little bit about the, the initial kind of controversy that was happening in the Olympics as it relates to her, right? One was the... There was a scoring controversy that had been coming up, and it's something that has actually had come up from before, not even just related to this to this um, this Olympics. But j- just to give a quick overview in terms of how this works, right? So typically, their score on any event of a gymnast is the combination of their execution of that of that you know event, um, which is graded out of a perfect ten, and the difficulty level of the starting value score, right? So the harder it is that they're, they're performing the more their total they can actually perform. In that. And that's not just for gymnastics. They, they do that a lot for, if you ever watched um, a high dive, sort of same thing, right? Yeah. They all sort of take a similar approach where like they know what you're going to perform, which I think helps the judges prepare for what, prepare you're, they're for what they're going to score. But, uh, but honestly, and the more I, complex it is, yeah. the more your, your total score can be on that event. Right? I didn't know about this. And I thought it was really interesting because most of the time when you perform, the rules are already written. But in this case, you're kind of writing the rules because you have to tell them what you're going to do. In other words, right. I'm going to do this. So the expectation is in the judge's head, oh, this is a X level difficulty thing. Correct. And so it's Correct. it's a combination of the thing I choose to do and how I do it. Right. That gives you my score. And that's part of the strategy piece, right? Because you've seen it in some of these cases. As a matter of fact, I was watching the men's floor routine. Mm-hmm. I, think it was, I don't know if it's called floor routine as well, but the one that they, they do on the, <laughs> the floor. And, yeah, um, I think it the, is a floor routine. We were watching it with my daughter this weekend, mm-hmm. and the, the athlete from China, he was like flawless in what he did. Like the dude just nailed everything, but he like barely got third place. And they were talking about it like, yeah, but he chose like a fairly safe route. He just did it with like very little faults. And it was the guy from Israel, which I think was also the first time. I don't know if it's the first time Israel has won the the men's individual floor routine, but it was yeah. it's kind of in, in that. He he definitely made more mistakes, but he just all the moves he was making were just harder to do, right? And he still, of course, did it well enough where he ended up getting gold. But that, that was a perfect example of that, right? And and the, the challenge with 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 someone like or part of the, the the thing with someone like Simone is that not only was she performing more difficult moves, but she was doing it really, really well. So she's killing people in the starting score and then doing really well with them. So therefore she like basically really really, you know, gets ahead of everybody else. She was so dominant, which is and I read this and I was like, that's crazy. At the world championship, she won by more than two points, which is like, oh what's two points? Well the typical wins are decided by tenths and hundreds of a point. <laughs> she like she by, yeah, yeah. Like the decimal point in the wrong place. Exactly for her. right. Um, wow. So on two of the of the events, she was getting what people believe was being underscored. Right. One of those events was in the vault, 
right? Where she was doing this uh, three complete flips, mm-hmm. something that apparently only a few men can even perform, let alone male the, athletes. The, the male yeah. athletes, not, not, let alone the female athletes, right? And then the second was this dismount that she would do from the balance beam, which is this double twist, double back move, right? Um, and then part of that also translated to like her strength in the floor routines, right? Because she's, she's like obviously does a lot of stuff in the floor routine as well, right? Um, and and in terms, so this is something that a lot of people felt that could be scored a lot higher for her, but they weren't being scored as high by the uh, IGF, which is I guess the International Gymnastics Federation, but I'm guessing, right? Um, and and in, and they were basically underscoring these moves, and people were calling up like, why is she not getting a higher starting point of the score? And really, the IJF had no explanation, right? Now, there was a piece by New York Times of which they said that one of the reasons that they inferred was a safety issue, right? And part of it is, like at least the rationale being that IJF sort of say, like, look, if we give you a lower starting point of the score than what it should be, maybe higher, it actually reduces the incentive for other athletes to try this that where they could be potentially be hurt. But that sounds like <laughs> that's super messed up thinking here, right? Mm-hmm. And... You know, what, what, and, and of course, for Simone Biles, her point of view is that, look, I'm being underscored to try to keep this more competitive because otherwise people know that I'm, I'm crushing You're going to just dominate. Now, in part of those, that, those complaints, there's also been, this is something that has that's happened before this, this Olympics, is there's been this, this complaint from the international community that, in general, U.S. gymnasts are just more athletic, right? And that based on the current rules uh, are being scored much higher on tumbling competitions that gives them an overall edge on the on the event, right? Because especially when they do those, when they do the the overall event for individuals, they take the collective score, right? And say they're just scoring so much higher in the tumbling events that it makes it hard for everybody else. And some of that complaint, by the way, it turned pretty racist pretty quickly, right? So in, like in 2013, there was an Italian gymnast, and I don't have her name here in front of me, but she and her teammates, um, she said basically that she and her teammates should have done should have done blackface in order to win, right? And there was a spokesperson that came out from the team that said, look, uh, that basically... The, the Italian girl said that? Yeah, yeah. So basically said... Sounds look, wrong. Yeah, sounds kind of wrong. He said, look, he said, the code of points is opening chances for colored people known to be more powerful and penalizing the typical Eastern European elegance, right? So it kind of goes to this point. And it was actually very similar comments made by the current coach of Brazil's women's team, who also was saying like, "Look, because black basically athletes are much are more powerful, they're giving it, they're getting an, an edge as it relates to some of some of these events." So there is both a combination of of people complaining that the overall scoring system they're putting too much weight in some of these tumbling based events that benefit more these type of athletes, and then specifically going after Simone Biles because of her dominance, and the judges sort of you know, messing with the scoring to try to keep it somewhat competitive. Yeah. My which ni- is all super messed up. My initial take when I heard this was, you know, and like part of it was how it was framed, right? Simone Biles, who is the greatest of all time. In fact, she's so great, she's got no problem wearing a goat on her leotard, right? So it's like, that's how great she is. I don't know if she was given it or she wore it herself. I've never seen that. She's got little goats on her leotard, right? Great. She clearly is, right? Yeah. Um yeah. So, and and the, the way it was framed was, well, she kind of like steps back from this competition because of her mental health and yada, yada. My first thought was, and this is what I'm telling you, I'm like, and I'm not, you, you can jump in. I'm not going to like soliloquy, but my point was that my initial take was, you know, there used to be a time when sports was precisely overcoming 
your mental and physical and all these limitations mm-hmm. to become great. So the whole point was you will be tried mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Right. And that is what ultimate, especially Olympic and international athletics is about, is despite that. And you go through all the historical examples of the girl, I forget when it was, in the, maybe in the early thousands when that rolled her ankle and she's out there and she's doing it with like her ankles like dangling off and somebody right. else, their dad just died. And, and nevertheless, they go and they perform because that's the point is that's how you achieve greatness. So I was very like thinking, you know, here's a woman who's wearing the goat on her leotard and mm-hmm. nevertheless, she walks out. And I think about like who was the person that could have made the trip that didn't because she took the, the sure. position. So I was pretty negative on that. Then I started you, reading. You were pretty negative on the initial reaction my that initial, you had on, on her pulling out of the team. My line. initial reaction mm-hmm. was negative toward her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Then I got to reading about this IOC or whatever the organization is. Again, we've been talking about some of these organizations lately. And the fact that they literally were kind of watering down or dumbing down the 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 levels to set them for her, kind of like EQing it for her, going, well, I know this is really hard, but for you, it's not as hard. So we're not going to give you the same thing. And I was like, what in the hell is that about? Because if anything, if she's just dominating that, like you have generational talent, right? I thought about it in the case of basketball. It's like, you're going to say, well, listen, you can slam too easy on a 10. So we're going to give you a point and a half when you score. It's just too easy. You're too tall. You right. get a point and a half. The short guy's going to get two. And if you're really short, you get three if you right, slam. Right, right. It just that changes the entire dynamic yeah. of the sport, right? And then I started thinking more about that. And I was like, no, screw it. They're wrong. Yeah. And then kind of where I'm at now is this idea of maybe they both need to do a little bit of work, right? Because to me, the, the idea of the greatness and performing anyway, even in spite of these issues and the fact that you're stressed or w- whatever, uh-huh. that's part of what defines greatness. And then the other side is like these, th- these folks are just – it's like the helicopter parent equivalent of Olympic, of Olympic judges, right? It's like we're trying to just lower the bar so that everybody can feel like a little you bit know better. a little bit better. It, it, and that's just not what the sport – sports is yeah. about at all you know I, I agree with you i think there there are a couple of different things that you're speaking to um you know i guess let, let's get into a little bit of, in terms of the why she says she's pulled out right so she says she pulled out because to a focus on her mental health which you mentioned um and i think in part of that she talked about the reason why she felt that was really important is because she was experiencing this thing just call i guess the twisties which could come up with a probably worse name <laughs> or something but the twisties right which is this this thing that happens to, I guess, the gymnast, mm-hmm. where there is this disconnect between what the mind and body, between the mind and the body that causes these gymnasts to become disoriented as they're in the in midair during these skills. And for someone like her that does these very complicated in-air kind of movements. It can be more dangerous. It can be a lot more dangerous than anything else. So, I, I you know, apparently that's a real thing. And other gyms have talked about it in terms mm-hmm. of this whole thing about the twisties, right? When I first saw the thing about her pulling out, it definitely was was super disappointing because of all, of course, all the expectations. But I could also I saw it much more from the perspective of she she was something was wrong with her in this whole Olympics when she did her first the the like the the qualifiers the day before right before like the actual she did okay but she like fell off from the high beam. Uh, or the balance beam, not high beam. The balance beam, and she. There was something else that she did where, in her floor routine, she kind of went off the, um, like the the area. Even though, uh, and she still did fine. Because once again, her performance was so much more complicated than people that she still did well enough to advance. Help, yeah. Advance, but you could already see that there was something kind of wrong that was happening. And then 
during the day of the team competition, I think she, I forgot which one is one that she fell from. I think it might have been the balance beam again that she fell from. And at that point, she goes back to the locker room and then comes back and says, hey, guys, like I, I need to pull out. Like I'm just not in the right kind of mental state. On the one hand, I definitely can understand to some degree the perspective people have. Like, hey, but this is like this is what being an athlete is all about. It's about rising these moments and surpassing this. My first orientation was like, I thought of much more from a team from a teammate, and thinking about playing with people that are super talented. But if something is wrong, that they're just not performing. Like, how many people would have the courage to say, "Hey, I just today, guys, I don't have it. Like, it's not there. I already saw yesterday. I'm like." I'm not there. Like I've, you know what I can do, and I'm not delivering. And, and we have do, good athletes yeah. here that can take my spot right now, so that we don't miss out on this opportunity. Because I am like not here. Because the more common example that you will see is that to be like, no, 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 I got it. I'll do it. And you've seen plenty of those selfish, you know, athletes that will take the whole team down with them because they're having a bad shooting night, and they shoot up, continue to shoot through. You miss the whatever the game, yeah. whatever be the case. And I thought it much more from that perspective when I first saw this happen as it relates to the team. I could definitely appreciate the fact that, hey, if you thought something was wrong before you got there, would this have been a spot that someone else could have performed in? But also thinking about the sport, like this is a sport that requires like complete dedication. And maybe, so, and maybe the, 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 the bulk of the evidence would be on this side of the on, – on your side of the ledger with respect to her specifically because here's somebody who's performed at the highest level for years under tremendous pressure and she's always kind of delivered, right. right? So it's not like, oh, now finally you get on a big stage and you kind right, of choke. Right, or like, oh, you have no will, weak will person well right no she, you, like, like she hasn't there's dominated been, the sport so badly there's like, no evidence of that right there there, there hasn't been any evidence so, so I, I i give you that i think that, that she probably that it would be realistic to say she's legitimately just sensing as athletes can about themselves i'm just not in the right place now you could also say no she be it's because she's hasn't lost since 2013 or whatever the status that you gave right, right. that she realized she was and even though she could perform, she didn't want to lose. So she pulled out. Like, you could play that, too. Yeah, you could. But but pulling out of the... I think that would have... Yeah, that's interesting. The The, the challenge here is is not just her losing in this case. If the, she lose, she loses for the whole team. team. For yeah. the whole team, right? And and the question becomes, is like, can someone else uh, come in there and, and perform and, and put the team in, the, so in a good place? Look, I think gymnastics as a as a sport is just is one of the more the hardest one in terms of the toll that it takes on people and the amount of time that never you gotta dedicate to these things. I just had a really hard time believing that someone who has spent so much of their life in the sport and then getting to the biggest moment and who has shown over you know, now almost, you know, I guess what is eight years of performing at the very highest level doesn't have the gut to stick out a tough situation. Like because I've made so many claims about her, like being a coward. And I'm like, I don't know how you put it on someone that has been so dominant. Right. Like, that is like a coward. Like, I don't think it's a coward. Yeah, I mean, you, look, or, you have to look at all the evidence and, and like, all their seems, history. And again, that that's seems where hard I can to see that to you. Mm-hmm. That seems hard to believe. Um, and it's the kind of thing like, you know, she came back. Because she's not only did she pull out of the, the team event, she pulled out of all the, 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 the overall individual, which is the big one, where she was definitely expected to, to win gold there. And that, I think, out of all of us, is probably the one that, co- that personally cost her the most because that is her legacy. Like, getting the overall goal. She would have been the first woman, I think, to win back-to-back uh, goals in the overall event as an individual. And 
I mean, I don't think it's ever happened in history, right? Like, that would have been a really big... And she still didn't feel like she was in good enough place to be able to compete at that. Now, maybe there you can make a little bit of an argument of maybe she thought that she didn't quite she have it, that she was going to get a silver instead of a gold, so then she pulled out. But then why pull out before? I mean, that's that's putting a lot of statements, you know? I think you can make an uh, argument that she already has a legacy if the worst thing she's worried about is getting a silver. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. But like silver, <laughs> right, it reminds me right, of right. the old saying that second place is the first loser. You yeah. know, in her, in her case, like when the expectation is so high, you're going to set some new world record. No one's going to come within two points, two decimal points of you. Right. Uh, you haven't lost in eight years. Everything is a goal that you touch. You're wearing a goat on your leotard. I mean, like, man, it's like... Well, and what's interesting that is, ratches that, it up. is even the event that she chose to come back to, it was the final event, right, of gymnastics. And an event that I, I want to say that in in 2016, she also got the bronze. So it's not one that she's, like, fully dominated. Got it, okay. So it was interesting to have her come back to that event um, at the very, very end to try to compete. And, and she did end up, end up did getting the bronze in that in that event. So at least there you can say maybe she knows that she, you know, there was a chance that she could still not win a gold and still decided to come out there and perform anyways. Um the, the, the yeah to me the reaction has been really interesting yeah, man. i mean people are like super brutal on her like she's like betrayed her country and like what are you like, yeah that's what are you talking about like, like, way over the way over the top you know there's the so top. much so much of that and and I, and I don't you know just to kind of close this out for me is you know i i do my hope is that um we can always remember that the idea of you know sports is obviously physical fitness, health, mental and physical, et cetera, all those things are part of it. But the reason that we do sport, the reason we compete with ourselves and with others is so that we can rise above, so that we mm -hmm. can achieve new things. And so, you know, to the extent that, that this dissuaded somebody from doing that, I'm sorry that it did. But I don't think that you should place the blame on, on her, certainly not overwhelmingly, although, like I said, I do... I do hope that we don't ever lose sight of the fact that that's part of the beauty of sport. Yeah, yeah. And then the second thing is, again, for me, these guys, like, we just need to set the rules. If somebody dominates, they're dominant. They're dominant. That's what makes them you know, dominate. You know what I thought about when I when I heard that part? Just is, leave um, it alone. I was reading, uh, not reading, hearing an interview that Joe Rogan was doing with Matt Frazier, right? So for those that are not familiar, Matt Frazier uh, is a CrossFit guy. He just retired last year. And you know, has been the most dominant male in the recent history, maybe ever. I think probably ever, CrossFit. Ever, ever. I think he won, what, five years in a row? Five in a row. Five in a row, right? Um, Which in that sport is, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's super... But not only was he winning, he was, like, dominating, right? And I remember in that interview, he talked about, and he was talking some smack about the the guy who programs CrossFit. What's his name? Dave Castro. Dave Castro, thank you. Saying that, they, that, that basically this guy was trying to program things into the events, specifically trying to find a way yeah, to like bring events them closer into athletes. the into like the mix. Sure, a lot Pull more them back into the mix, right? Or, uh, so burpees, things like that. So that stuff happens. And right, now, what's interesting is like we just at the same time as but the that Olympics, just doesn't penalize him though. That penalizes all other shorter athletes, stuff like that. So it's not for, just for sure. But, if, but, if it but did. you can totally see, yeah. But maybe it doesn't matter. Right, maybe at that point is you're trying to get this guy that's so dominant right. to get closer. You don't care if there's other kind of casualties in the process, right? Correct. But to make this equivalent, it would be like, okay, Matt, when you clean and jerk 250 pounds, we're not going to give you the same credit as when somebody else clean and jerks 250 pounds. It's still 250. You just get less points for right. It. But the, but that the, would be the, the, the equivalent. Yeah, here. the yeah, you're right. The, the 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 difference here is because she does Simone Biles does routines and does moves that people just don't even attempt. 
Right. And but just getting like the less, less And Matt points. Fraser lifts things faster and heavier than most people can lift. But right. that's not his fault. Just like For it's sure. not her I fault. I completely agree, right? Yeah. But, but I'm just giving it as, as, a, as a point of comparison where that stuff does actually happen. Sure. And even right now, at the same time as the Olympics is going on, uh, the CrossFit Games once again happen. And on the women's side, who's also been super dominant, is... Um, Tia uh, Claire Toomey. Tia Claire Toomey, who also just won, I think, I would argue fifth. she's actually more dominant. She's she's definitely I mean yeah she's well, super she's, dominant well, she's more I, dominant now I would say I guess, she did not start off as being more because she like yeah. the first couple of them they were really close yeah no let me qualify me I, I would argue that she's more dominant relative to the male to her male class now I don't know if she's For more sure. dominant than Fraser yet but maybe but but you can make the case now this last and if she one, wins again she will sure. be yeah. she she just won her fifth one and she was like I forgot I mean, like two thousand points not two thousand two hundred points above. You know, the, the, well, there was 15, the, the next... there's 15 events in the game. She won first place in nine of them. The guy who won for the males only won one out of 15 events. Right. That he tells you just, all that you yeah, have to need, need yeah, to know yeah. right there. She was I'm sure. So maybe next year they'll change the events for women to try to get her to come back to the pack a little bit more. Either that or just bring CrossFit into the Olympics. I and mean, we're good. We combine all this, that all this be, stuff. That would be great. Together. All right. Good conversation. Um, we're moving on to Courage or Cringe. Got, uh, you know, ice cream and. All kinds of stuff. What else? Uh, Scarlett Johansson. What do Scarlett Johansson, Ice Cream, and Spotify have in common? They're uh, all on the show today. Yes, exactly. So our first topic, Courage or Cringe, Florida and Texas threatened to blacklist Ben and Jerry for their decision to end sales of ice cream in the West Bank. Haters. They just don't like ice cream. Uh, yeah. Um, so a few weeks ago, on July 19th, Ben and Jerry announced that it would no longer sell its ice cream in Palestinian territories occupied in Israel. Okay. Now, immediately following their announcement, their move was condemned by some, including politicians, right, calling it as being anti-Israel and demanding lawmakers to sanction the company. Uh, by the way, Ben & Jerry's makes up about 75% of the premium ice cream market in Israel, right? So they're pretty dominant there. Now, part of the controversy here is that this move by Ben & Jerry is being framed by some as part of the of, of what is called the BDS, BDS movement, which is BDS stands for Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions Movement which started in 2005 and called for an economic, cultural, and academic boycott of Israel for its violations of international law and Palestinian rights, as well as its occupation of the West Bank and Gaza, right? So, which is something, by the way, that the company has publicly support, has not publicly supported, right? And even the founders of Ben & Jerry came out and said they did not endorse the BDS movement, nor did they see the company's efforts as a boycott of Israel. They simply said, we're pulling out of this area, we still want to operate in Israel, so we're not calling it a boycott of Israel in any way whatsoever, right? Now, they framed the company move, this is the, the, the co-founders, who, by the way, happen to be Jewish, uh, both of them, is we see the company's recent action as part of a similar trajectory not as anti-Israel, but part of a long history of being pro-peace, right? Um, That's very much on brand for them. Even super if it, on brand. Even on brand if it for wasn't them. true, it's still on brand. <laughs> it to is say very that. on brand for them, and they're very. They've been a very activist brand for a long time, right? So these are consistent there. Um, now, this BDS assignment is important because Israel has successfully lobbied some countries to condemn boycotts against it, right? So in Germany, uh, the BDS movement is considered anti-Semitic. Right. In, the, in the UK, they're passing laws to curb boycotts against Israel. And in the US, there is 35 states that have passed anti-BDS laws. Right Now, these, are law, these laws typically limit state authorities from doing business with anyone who is actively boycotting Israel and prevents state pension funds from investing in BDS-linked companies. Mm -hmm. Which, even that, the first time I heard that, that blew me away, that there will be state-level laws 
specifically dealing with how companies yeah. operate internationally, right? So like I didn't these thirty five states, though. Mm-hmm. The part that was unclear to me mm-hmm. is do 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 we think that those anti BDS laws are generally uniform across these thirty five states? In other words, is it like mm-hmm. the same the level? Same law? Yeah, the I don't know. That's a great point. That's a great point. They could vary. I'm sure they do um, because they're state laws. I'm sure they have maybe a little bit different language. Right. But the but the general thrust the general is, thrust is the same. It's like hey, if you as a corporation that are operated in this state are doing any anything to try to boycott Israel, then we as a state can and take limit. action against you, right? And that action could be everything from, once again, preventing some of these, some of our funds of the state to investing in your kind of companies or find other ways to be able to literally blacklist you, right? And 35 states, it's not a red-blue thing then because that's a... That's yeah, a, I, didn't, I didn't see which, but yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's a big enough thing. It's it just, to me, it, it is super interesting seeing that. Like that is... Do you think part of it though is just the size of these state economies are, are significant enough where it matters or is just... You see what I'm saying? In other words, like California is always touting the fact that it's the 14th largest economy in the world. Well, if it is, I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of that's kind of interesting. It could be the case. Look, I think part of it has been for a very, very long time, the U.S. has been a very strong ally of Israel. Right. And doing everything that it can to be able to support it because they see it as it's obviously its partner in a very complicated area of the world. It's the only democracy in the Middle East. So I think to that point, um, the U.S. has been very supportive in a bunch of different ways. And I'm sure part of this sort of came to like, how do we take that support and, and find all the ways that we can put pressure on anyone that tries to do any harm to the to the state of Israel, right? And and that then translates to state laws to me. But I still have a really hard time understanding how we even got to the point of even looking at state laws as a vehicle to put pressure on so corporation. Well, how old the are these, BD, these anti-BDS laws, though? Because my I guess mean, is they didn't just happen yesterday. Them, so they've been around for a while. Yeah, I'm sure I, they I have. don't know, right? Yeah. And so this is kind of why why this that was a really interesting topic to talk about. Right? My sense is this has something to do with the Jewish diaspora in the United States too. Like yeah, that's maybe. why I think that yeah. I don't know about Texas, but that's why I think Florida. If you read what they actually said, there's def. And look, I've lived in Florida, so I know that there's a significant Jewish diaspora that lives in Florida. And so maybe that has yeah, something. Yeah, maybe in some states, but thirty five. Like yeah, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. You know, so you're gonna get some dynamic there, but it can be that can be the whole driver, right? So, of course, now Florida and Texas jumped into, into this, this issue immediately, right? So, in Florida, Governor DeSantis requested the Florida Board of Administration start by placing Ben & Jerry and Unilever, which is the parent company of Ben & Jerry, on a continued examination list of those companies, right? And in a letter, he wrote, should the State Board of Administration affirmly place Unilever and its corporate entities on the scrutinized companies list? Air quotes, right? Yeah. And these companies do not create, um, uh, do not seize, I'm sorry, the boycott of Israel as required by Florida law. The board must refrain from acquiring any and all Unilever assets consistent with the law. That's a lot of soap we're not going to buy now. That's right. The scrutinized companies list, I tried to look this up, I couldn't find it. That is a capitalized term in this thing, which yeah. means it's a legal term for the, for the purposes of Florida. And that, and the law, Do right, we right. know that the scrutinized company, companies list is shared by the 35 states? I'm sure it isn't. No. That's, so there's that's, this, this is these are all state level conversations, right? So every state has to determine right who right, is whether, who is that's why the whole thing list. is so is so interesting to me. It's like that's a really So I could be on the scrutinized list in Texas but not in Florida. Well, yeah, because I may not even be operating or have any headquarters or anything in the, in a specific area. So actually that's a great question. I don't know if you even have to operate or have Offices in that market, well, you don't or simply have a distribution, you right? Is not based in Florida. Yeah, so I guess it's yeah, that's actually super interesting, right? Um, yeah, my, it's yeah, the whole thing is, is very odd to me. Okay. Um, now in Texas, they took a very similar approach, right? Uh, it, it, 
in terms of like putting them on this list to take a look at them, right? Once again, do this list match up? I, no idea, right? But I thought it was pretty hilarious. Some of the comment that they said, which is like what they said, uh, they added to that approach, saying it is worth noting that thankfully Texans have much better options for a sweet treat this summer. Bluebell was founded in Berman, Texas, and tastes much better than the overpriced stuck of <laughs> stuff made by a foreign-owned company started in Vermont. Wow, it's Blue, like Bluebell actually is pretty good. Bluebell is pretty good. Yeah, but, I give him credit. On but that. I like the stuck-up uh, stuff. Yeah, just like what are we talking about? You know? Wow. Okay. But uh, who said that? By the way, that's a that quote. Was, was that it? was a quote from the governor's office. Uh, it, I don't okay. know if it came directly from the governor or not, but that was a quote yeah. from the governor's office. Okay. Right? Yep. Um, so, I mean, listen, we could talk about it more, but I just, I can just pause it here, right? So, courage or cringe, state rightfully or states rightfully protecting the interests of an American ally, or state overreach penalizing companies for issues on the global stage. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Charlie, courage or cringe? Uh, so, um, all right. So, I'm not a fan of Ben and Jerry's. Um, for I love ice cream, by the way, but I'm not a fan of Ben and Jerry's for a very simple reason, maybe overly simplistic. But um, in 2019, there was 125 or 130 companies that specifically put a home uh, a big full page ad in the New York Times, mm-hmm. um, explicitly signing their company as a signatory to a. Um, a pro-abortion legislation. Mm -hmm. So they weren't saying like, we're pro-choice and we're fine with people making their own decisions. They were explicitly making the case that they're pro-abortion. There's a few of them that I recall. A lot of the brands were no-name brands. Ben & Jerry was one. Mm-hmm. That's the last time I bought Ben and & Jerry's. Anyway, but and, right. I, and I do like ice cream. So for me, for me, that that was kind of like tainting some of this, but, but, l- but let me, let me punch through it a little bit, okay. a little bit uh, deeper. I don't know if uh, – so this BDS assignment, I did look that up. It seems like it has a long and colorful history. Um, there are a number of, of people who consider it mm-hmm. anti-Semitic. I can't speak with a tremendous amount of authority on whether or not it is, but there's enough concern that it may be. And a lot of them, the people who even are American progressives that I looked at that are against BDS say that the reason they're against it, these are Jewish progressives. Mm-hmm. The reason they're against it is because the BDS movement, according to them, is an end game to actually um, uh, un- not recognize Israel. So in other yeah. words, yeah, yeah. that they use this as a ruse. There's for sure lots of controversy with this BDS movement. Right. Yeah, completely so, agree. Yeah. So, so, and I looked at a, a few of these folks who are maybe are not, wouldn't be ideological allies of mine, but nevertheless had a um, pro a pro Israel progressive view and that was their big beef with it so mm-hmm. um you know well, and so that's I, yeah, and mm-hmm. so this is like, you have like you have multiple issues There's here right segments. there is that there is the BDS movement by itself mm-hmm. and then say best case it has controversy around it because you could totally see how someone with more ill intent will want to hide underneath this movement right. to actually, but have them to your point where the end game is actually Israel disappearing. Yes. I could totally see that. Yes. There's that. So there mm-hmm. is the assignation of that movement to what Ben and Jerry specifically is doing, right? In terms of pulling out of Gaza. Correct. As where they're selling ice cream. Once again, not saying that they want to pull out of Israel or, right. or saying any kind of boycott of Israel. Right. Now they're being clear as to why they, they do that, mm-hmm. why they're doing that, right? They disagree with the policy that like we could be pro-Israel and still disagree with policy that Israel is 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 putting in place, right? Right. And the third piece is the state issue 
that of getting involved in this kind of topic. I know you want to talk about the state issue, and I actually I, I think that's a really interesting conversation. Let me, th- so, yeah, yeah. so just the third part of my calculus is the fact that I actually have physically been in the West Bank. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've been in Palestinian. I've been in Palestine. Let's call it that, even though a lot of Jews and Israelis would say that that's not a real thing. Mm-hmm. But like, for instance, Bethlehem. Okay, I've been in Bethlehem. Getting to Bethlehem, you arrive. If you take a tour, you arrive on a bus. The bus will then, in our case, um, was boarded by Palestinian, by the basically the PLO, I guess, or whatever, the Palestinian Authority. They came in with machine guns, wanted to search everything, look mm-hmm. at everyone. There's about a 30-foot wall that goes all the way around Bethlehem. And I can tell you, because I had conversations with them, anybody who's Christian living in Palestine, they're not having a super fun time, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm also thinking of that, that this... This um, this area of the West Bank has been so, uh, you know, kind of a difficult place, and there's a lot of yeah. suffering, and there's a lot of on, on on a lot of sides, right? And so these guys pulling out of that, um, you know, means more to me because again, I've I've personally been there. So all of this, the, the part I didn't like about it, the part it's like not an easy courage or cringe, or not an easy cringe, sorry, because uh-huh. uh, I do think I, I net down net out on courage in terms of of them blacklisting Ben and Jerry for their for their decision. But the thing it wasn't like an exuberant one is because, you know, got to give it up to Ron DeSantis. I mean, this guy is really good at finding every single thing to get involved in to be a headline. Now. He's you could a great run for for president. Well, and that's the thing is like in the, you know he he's he's really really good at being yeah. front of the news cycle. Yeah, and so for me it's like do does he really care about Ben and Jerry's or the ice cream or this seemingly relatively obscure kind of um, what's it called? What's the list called? This. Uh, list that they came up with. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. The scrutinized companies list? The scrutinized companies list. I'm not sure. I think that probably he he's learned a lot about dominating the news cycle. He may be principled as well, but he's still clearly thinking of the news cycle in mm-hmm. my mind when I read this story. And it just smells a little bit like there's some PR and engineering here, mm-hmm. which makes it hard for me to to, to like go, oh, it's a definite courage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it's a qualified courage. But I come down on courage um, for the reasons that I've mentioned, made harder by the fact that I think that there's a lot of PR that's in this thing. Got it. That's where I'm at. Okay. We could talk about the state stuff, yeah, but yeah, that's, yeah, where, yeah. that's yeah. where I'm so, at. Yeah. I, I, yeah, in looking at this issue, to me, it's uh, I'm hard cringe because it's a non-starter for me that states should be involved in trying to dictate or put pressure on, co- on corporations at a global stage. On issues that have nothing to do with the state. Does it change it for you if they're headquartered in their state? I mean, I, I guess what, what, what I find really interesting here is that these are the same many times players, individuals who are very vocal of wanting to – of pushing back on again, brands getting blacklisted because of their social positions and or pushing them to get blacklisted if they have the wrong kind of position, Right. Uh, when MLB decided to pull out of uh, of Atlanta, right? There was a lot of uh, because of their trans transgender law. I think is what it was, right? The no major league baseball. Oh no, was, it was because of voting. It was yeah, the voting, voting, right? Rights. Yeah, voting yeah. rights. Yeah, voting rights. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It was something else that wasn't trans. But anyways, I can't keep track. Um, there was like all this conversation about Coke as well, and all these brands that she get that she get sort of Home Depot. Pr- yeah, Home Depot. She get listed blacklisted there, and also you see the opposite of people that are like really are pushing for. Their, um, you know, a certain brand to get 
whatever, to have economic impact, et cetera. And even, and I disagree with that, well, that stuff, but I, at least it fits within a national scope. That's something that's happening in this country. I could sort of understand, I sort of get it. But in this case, I think is a brand that, A, a lot of people that are in the, to, to your point, I definitely think it's a PR move. And But then again, my orientation with, with the sense, I think that that's basically, he's been running for presidential election now for a while and, and doing a pretty good job, jumping on every single talking point. He's going to have a lot to point to. He's going to have some great commercials. Um, I think this move is really is an, a little bit of an FU to the left uh, on a brand that is super, super progressive and a way to jump in there to show a conservative base that you're for it. Having said all that, what bothers me the most is these type of laws that feel like, in my mind, that have no place to be in 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 state's purview because that's to me is like how are you how are you looking after your, after your constituents by getting involved in this international issue that has nothing to do with anyone that, that lives in your state right but but okay let me push back on that though because on some I level like federal I mean the federal is one thing I get, I get it I get that I get it but I would just distinguish two things uh-huh. one is the fact that what they're saying is they are a customer of a company and they're choosing not to be a customer of a company. Right. That's what they're choosing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. even though that. they are political players, even though they have, you know, uh, influence on the scene, all these other things are true. Nevertheless, what the decision is, is like, we will no longer patronize you. Right. That's what the decision is actually. I being agree. Made. But these are based on laws that you have in place. Because part of my question would be like, well, why don't you have these kind of laws so for maybe your all issue- other, other international issues? Maybe your issues right? with it's the like, law less than what they're actually well, choosing. Because otherwise, what would be a good reason to choose yeah, not yeah, to yeah. buy something from yeah, you? Yeah, no, yeah, is there so any reason I could pick to it, not it buy is, something from you? I have an issue with uh, with these having these laws altogether okay, at a right. state level. That's what okay. I have an issue with, right? Okay. Because I could say, well, why don't you have – maybe maybe there is, by the way. I have no idea. It's the first time I heard of these kind of international laws, right? Like why don't you have other laws as it relates to like child brides? Right. And not doing any business with any company that has any that operates in those countries that operates here. When I have laws against, I don't know, all kinds of all, you, you can think of all there, the international yeah. issues that you could have laws against at a state level. There to are me, a like, whole bunch of that's abs- really odd to there me. There are a whole bunch that. of it doesn't feel like the right place to have this mm-hmm. kind of conversation. And it seems like a really, really odd thing to me altogether. There are a bunch of obscure laws that states actually do have. Yeah, I'm sure. On my <laughs> I other, just have never heard of this. And uh, I was like, super weird. On my other show, we have the segment at the end that's that's called Wait What? And we bas- I basically ask like these random questions that are based on the guests for that week, right? Mm-hmm. And so I usually do one about the state they're from. And I had a guest on my show who's from New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, I, and one of the laws on the, on the books in New Mexico is you cannot dance wearing a sombrero. It is illegal in the state of New Mexico to dance with a sombrero on. Now, that law was probably written in like 1780 or something right. for some reason that we have no idea about. It's never been taken off the books. So there are weird laws on each of these things. And I bet you that there are laws about you know child brides and stuff like that. But your point across the board is Israel maybe has a different position. And I agree with you. I think that's due in part to the very specific relationship we've had with Israel as a nation yeah, I'm sure for so does. many decades that these states have come up and said, well, wait a minute, we're also pro-Israel. And like, here's what we're going to do well, in our neck of the woods because I, it's good I, for the economy and I it's think also maybe Israel good for them. has done a good job in lobbying the different arms of government here in the U.S. For sure. Probably true as well. Right. Every, every government does what that. What was interesting yeah, but they probably did it into a much more successful manner than probably anyone else. It's my, it's my guess. Yeah. Right? Not, not knowing it. I mean, just this kind of law is like really interesting to me. Um, what's interesting here, it, it is you're seeing a change in public opinion, though, where it was, I think, very controversial for anyone to have any kind of view outside of being 100% pro-Israel as it relates to any kind of conflict there. To now you're like, 
well, wait a minute. Now that you're seeing this this area being like like really heavy handedly bombed and to the point where you're like, yeah, but these guys like no we begin to get come close. It's like watching a little kid fighting an adult. Like it gets to a point like, yeah, even the kid started it. Like at some point is you know you're fighting a kid. Like you also have to be the adult in the in the conversation. And I think you're seeing a shift in public opinion. So to me, it is really interesting to see this kind of discourse mm-hmm. as it relates to to Israel specifically because of that shift in public opinion. And I wonder if maybe part of the outcome there would be of having less of these kind of laws. I don't. I, I just find it so weird to have to yeah. have this kind of law at a, at a state level. By the way, I'm not even. I'm, I frankly don't know enough to agree or disagree with with Ben and Jerry. I definitely have your perspective as it relates to like I put them in the. To me, Ben and Jerry is net neutral. I'm not necessarily for them. I'm not necessarily against them. I don't frankly know enough about what they've, you know, supported or not supported. I know they were super, they were super uh, active and and uh, um, yeah, proactive about their stance around like Black Lives Matter and everything was happening la- last yeah. year and summer. But it's also That's very, no, it's very much before, to their brand, yeah. right? Like, that is what their brand is. It is, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, that's the part. I, I guess I never got over that the state law for something like this. Yeah, and and to that I can't speak because I mean, you know, I do believe that the state should be able to do business with whoever they want to do business with, and if they want to say we're not we're not going to get a rice cream from you if you don't do X, Y, and Z. I mean, I guess that's the their prerogative. I, I also, um, I think you can still hold the position of saying that brands should not be um, should not be boycotted in terms of their ability to speak, and also say I don't want to do business with you. I think you don't; those are not mutually exclusive yeah. positions. Because I know you said earlier that like these are a lot of the same people who mm-hmm. who begrudge when people criticize you know brands or whatever, or when brands have a yeah, outs- yeah. you know. But I think those can be two different things. Sure. Um, so yeah. Anyway, all right. So so that's uh, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. So, so our our second topic is is um, courage or cringe? even more fun. Yeah. Scarlet- did you see this movie by the way? I have. Black yeah, Red? I just watched it. You just did. Okay. Good. I just wa- gonna, I watched it in the theaters because I, I felt like she wasn't getting enough pay. You know, paid for. <laughs> So you gave her your for, seventeen I wanted, bucks. I wanted to make sure that she got her proper due. Um, I haven't seen it, so I go into this with full, you know, ignorance with respect to the movie. <laughs> I have my guesses about what it's like, but you can tell me otherwise. So yeah, the topic is Scarlett Johansson. Um, oh, why can I see? This? Sues Disney. Sues Disney for releasing Black Widow in theaters and on Disney Plus. How so dare they? A hybrid release, which is what they what they're calling it. How dare they? Um, so yeah, so Scarlett Johansson, right, the star of the new film Black Widow, right, has sued Disney because they decided to do a hybrid release of the film, once again in both theatrical and Disney Plus, which she claimed had her lose out on considerable bonuses tied to a theatrical release performance of the film. So you can imagine that these contracts are probably written something like, if we have a holdover sure. weekend, you get another five million dollars. If the movie opens number one in the country or number one in the world, yeah, there's, there's a different there's thing. performance, yeah, bonuses, right? Based that on are how tied well, to yeah, how well how well they do, and but specifically makes, tied to a theatrical bow, though a theatrical correct, open, right, okay. right, 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 theatrical open. And yeah. I think in this case, what's interesting is at least based on how they were all responding to it, it sounds like they would also still give her bonuses tied to the performance of it on Disney Plus because the thing here is like it's a little bit different in Disney Plus in the sense that it's not like Netflix where if it's available on the platform then people just get to watch it on Disney Plus 
any premiere access films are available, but they cost an extra 30 bucks. Which is, Which but, is that's, but that's but that's also a ma- literally like a year old thing. I mean, that didn't exist when Disney Plus launched. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think so because they were doing day and date on yeah, my, my, right, Pixar right. releases my, and things like point, that. Yeah, my point on that one is that it, there is there is a still performance I think bonus for these for these actors. Sure. But they're simply saying by doing that, you are cutting the legs you're de- of the theatrical. You're release. giving people one less reason to go to the theater. Correct. Right. Okay. Now, but here's my question: Do do you know enough about the unit economics of theatrical versus home video to say that it is more profitable for Disney if you go to the theater? Uh, in terms of the money for it, I don't, although my guess is going to, is, is probably, I'm sure it's significantly more profitable for them. It's a combination of unit versus volume, right? But the thing, to, the thing too, and this is what will we'll come up here, we'll talk about is that right now, Disney, Disney as a co- corporation is very motivated to drive subscribers to Disney Plus. And the more subscriber growth they can, they can create on that platform, the more their stock price, stock price, I'm sorry, will go up, and using a film like Black Widow to, to me makes subs. a lot of sense to drive subs has a direct benefit to Disney, not just on the on the individual property, but as a company as a whole, which is basically the argument that that their their lawyers are making. But but her argument is not that Disney Plus was part of the agreement; it's just the degree to which they promoted like the theatrical and the Disney Plus. Her were. her argument is that in her contract, she's saying that. It was agreed to that it was going to be a theatrical only release. Got it. Okay. Right. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's what it was. Now, now keep in mind, this is a film that got pushed back over a year, right? It got or maybe maybe, maybe exactly a year. It was supposed to be released in May of 2020, but of course, with the pandemic, everything else was obviously pushed back. Now, the film itself, which once again I watched, and I got to be honest, I liked it a lot. I thought it was really good. I liked it a lot. Mm. Um, it's okay. I liked it. Thought it was thought it was good. Mm-hmm. I thought the new the new uh, actress that came in the the plays her her younger sister. I thought she had the best role in the movie. Okay, so it's it's a it's one of those films where it's a clear baton being handed off to the next generation. Uh, so I thought that was good. There's a lot about the story that I actually liked. Um, okay. So anyways, but the movie has grossed more than 200 million worldwide during its opening weekend. Probably cost 300 million to make. But go ahead. No idea. Yeah, yeah. I actually didn't see that. I'm sure that someone has reported it. We'll see. Uh, including 80 million in the U.S. theatrical box office and 60 million via Disney Plus. Right. So that mm-hmm. gives a little bit of the economics there, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of what was generated there. Um, now, the the film itself has has experienced a significant drop off in 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 the following weeks, right? Now, in the lawsuit, they stated, right, this is in, in uh, Johansson's lawsuit, said Disney intentionally included Marvel's breach of the agreement. Uh, in, I'm sorry, intentionally induced Marvel's breach of the agreement without justification in order to prevent Miss Johansson from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel. Hmm. Right now, sources told the Wall Street Journal, who broke the story, that she could stand to lose upwards to fifty million dollars in bonuses over the move. Production budget is estimated at two hundred million. Just production. Oh, interesting. Okay. Marketing probably another seventy-five. If you if you figure just yeah, based on so what it's we probably know. break even right at the end of the day with, when this thing is all said and done. Because uh, if it's 200 million in just opening weekend, maybe a little better than that, right? So we'll see. Um, <clears throat> so what's interesting is so uh, yeah. So it says uh, in addition, the suit stated that Disney chose to placate Wall Street investors and pad its bottom line rather than allow its subsidiary Marvel to comply with the agreement. To no one's surprise, Disney breach of agreement successfully pulled millions of fans away from the theaters and towards its Disney Plus streaming service. Now, in her suit, um, Scarlett Johansson maintained that Disney declined to renegotiate her deal after the decision was made to send the movie to both theaters and Disney Plus, 
despite repeated attempts on her part to open those discussions. Do you think that there's any chance, any at all, knowing what we know about contracts, especially something like this, that there's not some clause in that agreement that says we can put this movie anywhere we want? At our sole discretion. Uh, I'm sure there is some of that. Um, I think the the, the part where it will get tricky is this gonna, you're going to get into like the spirit of the agreement kind of conversation. I also think that Disney is pretty motivated to, to drive Disney Plus subscription. And you're still talking about a film that is now over a year old that you're trying to like get out with, an, with frankly, a talent that is at the end of your agreement with them. So there is no well now the very end of it probably yeah yeah but let's say like if it yeah. was like the first of this or like an sure. ongoing franchise sure. you know is one thing um, now to that point Disney did not stay quiet about the suit right they said uh, and I quote the loss was especially sad and and distressing in its callous callous I'm sorry disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID nineteen pandemic. Disney. They went there right away. Yeah, too. I was like, like, get out of here. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract. And furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she has received to date. Dude, I mean, the fact that they called out how much me, she made. Let me tell like, you something. That is, this is like, we don't care if we ever work with you again, lady. That's what this says. I mean, seriously, read between the lines. You know how many layers? Terrible, yeah. Think of how many layers of approval that thing had to go through before it hit the... For sure, right? Are you kidding me? You know the CEO probably saw that before it went yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so okay with saying, hard. dumping the pandemic on her and saying, you need to make more than $20 million? Right. Right. So everybody exactly. in middle America knows that you're complaining about the fact that you didn't make more than $20 million right, right, to be right. in a movie. Exactly. Yeah, that's a super bold, <laughs> super bold move. Now, added to this was Johansson's agent and the co-chair of Hollywood, Hollywood uh, CAA, the powerhouse CAA, uh, Brian Lord, uh, who basically fired back and said, look, that Disney shamelessly and falsely accused Ms. Johansson of being insensitive to the global COVID pandemic in an attempt to appear to be something they and I know she isn't. And also Disney intentionally induced Marvel's breach of, agree- of agreement without justification in order to prevent Ms. Johansson from realizing the full benefit of her bargain with Marvel, right? Um, mm-hmm. So Scarlett has, has been Disney's partner on nine movies, which have earned Disney and its shareholder billions. I'm sure that's right? true. And the and company made her included hundreds of millions. Yeah, that's right. The, the company included her salary in its press statement in an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman. Not really. Not as, a, I don't. Do you think it was weaponizing her success, or it was yes. just kind of for a thousand percent? But you view a that as thousand percent. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, you would yeah. classify that as weaponizing success, as opposed to trying to embarrass her by virtue of how much money she made. Both to me, that's uh, two same sides of the coin. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Interesting. Because the the, the reaction you just said is like, wait, you can make about twenty million dollars, and you're complaining, and you're complaining is like, yeah, from a company that makes billions of dollars, right? So that, that's whose whose stock price will generate billions of yeah. dollars based on, on 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 bringing in more subscribers to. So it's all relative. When right? I think about weaponizing, I think of attacking people other than the than the participants in the story is what I mean. So like in this case, oh yeah, I guess I guess it's I like see a self weaponization yeah, yeah, sort of weaponizing yeah, history. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, and basically saying that if, if that were something that she should be ashamed of, and and it is, I think to me when mm-hmm. you put it out there, you are making the case is like, you should be glad we gave you this money. Like, what are you talking about, right? But anyways, there's a lot to this conversation. So courage or cringe? I it, wish I had seen the movie. Elitist sour grapes for mm-hmm. not making millions more, or corporation using COVID as an excuse to breach contract that drove subscriptions 
and increase their share price. Wow. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, go ahead. Um, hmm. Mixed feelings on this one. The, the first thought that came to me was, you know, the revolution kind of eats itself. You have all these people just going back and forth and, you know, uh, eating each other's lunch back and forth. Tells me that they have really no interest in working with her again, just given how yeah, kind of vocal sure. this thing is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also, you know, part of the problem is I worked at Disney for years and I know the way that these contracts are written. I find it extremely hard to believe that they let themselves – be limited to only a theatrical release of this thing. I mean, I remember reading these contracts and it would literally, the section on platforms would mention the word universe, literally that exists right. now in the past will ever exist now or in the future. It almost like they, they but, but you, but you like, think that would be the case in a Marvel movie. Like if they just, you think they would do this to Robert Downey Jr.? There is no way, Charlie. I, well, what I'm saying is I don't believe that they would write a contract that says we don't have the right to distribute it in whatever way we want. And even if they did write the only mm. theatrical, which I don't believe, but let's say they did, there's still clauses in contracts and those contracts called force majeure, which is an act of God under which a global pandemic falls, which makes a lot of the pre foregoing things null and void, right? So there is in the contract yeah, you agree that. to it's... acts of God. I think the part that I have a hard time, any any pandemic conversation here is like, get out of here. You you delayed the launch of this film to allow for theatrical release by over a year. If really all you cared about is saying, hey, I don't want to put anyone in harm, why did you even do a theatrical release to begin with? Mm -hmm. It should have been all on Disney+. Plus. A year ago. Well, they would have still gotten sued then, but what difference does that make? Well, but yeah, but then COVID had nothing to do with it. And you waited to be able to allow, to be able to put this in theaters. Yeah, look, personally. While the pandemic is still happening. So obviously you don't really care that much that the pandemic you, is happening. I really wish I'd seen the movie. Do you really think it's a very good movie? Do you honestly believe that? I think it's a good movie, yeah. You I do. think it's a good movie. Okay, because yeah, yeah. by the looks of it, I would I think it's better than Iron Man 3, for sure. Okay, I have to watch it. It's really unfair for me to say this, but the impression that I get is that it's not a good movie. That's the impression I get. From the lack of kind of conversation and maybe buzziness and everything being, else about it. I guess it. being a good or bad movie, what does that have to do with with? I with think that this? there's other things to play here besides the fact that there's a venue discussion on whether or not it's theatrical or otherwise. I think they shelved the movie for a number of reasons, mm -hmm. not including... Or I'm sorry, including the fact that they weren't as confident as they oh, were. I see. About yeah, yeah. So your point is they're they're a they kind of don't care because I'm agreeing with you that there was other it's things. An artist that you you're, you're not gonna well not fading not fading. Just, you're just not you're you're that's basically your franchise with them. It's probably coming to an end. Mm -hmm. And then two, a film that maybe you didn't love or think is not gonna be as good. So therefore, you're okay burning the bridge on both ends. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's there's more here at play. Um, and I do think it's the pot calling the kettle black in terms of, you know, hey, you're making 20 million. 20 million is like, you know, that probably is the amount that Disney spent on like coasters for their movie production sets. It's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of money to people like, you know, you and me and anybody listening here. But, but, you know, in the scheme of what these properties actually make and what the companies actually make, it is a drop in the bucket, right? So there yeah. is that intent to kind of shamer and all that other stuff. Yeah. Uh, I just I think with this. Do you think they would handle the same if it was Robert Downey Jr.? Even if let's listen to two things: last film with him, and you, you realize maybe not the best one. They could I mean, done. after Doctor Doolittle, I think probably yeah, they probably would do it. I mean, but, but in his prime, ten years ago, maybe not. Ten years ago, maybe not. 
Yeah, in the, in the context of Marvel and what it means for Disney. Yeah. Look, him, I mean, newsflash, there's ageism in Hollywood. Scarlett Johansson's almost 40 years old. Like, how many Avenger movies is she going to be making? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, there's all these things that are at play. Yeah. So I think that they're... Okay, look, I'm probably I'm gonna come down. <laughs> oh man, this one. I think you're like changing your mind I back and forth. I am like, because I think times. they're both. I think they're both kind of ridiculous. I do think uh-huh. that it is, it is a bit vile to um, to throw this woman under the bus that way and blame COVID on her and all this other stuff. At the same time, I do think like I mean, how many yachts can you ski behind? Kind of thing, right? That line from Wall Street: twenty million, twenty-five million. I get it. It's five more million. But at the same time, but like, what and, if, da- and if you're Disney, what damage are you doing to your you own brand, your, Scarlet? Your parks all open, like you don't really care about COVID that much. Yeah. If you really care about, if COVID really was your number one priority, yeah, why are your parks open? Why are you doing any theatrical releases whatsoever? It's like that's what like the, the whole COVID. All right, thing I'm is, gonna go get out of here. I'm gonna go courage. I'm gonna go courage because I lately dislike Disney more than I do dislike <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna go courage on her suing, but it's a very qualified one. I think that there's so much you know back and forth on this. I'd love yeah. to have the contract and read it. I, I find that the claims that Scarlett Johansson's team making is dubious. I think Disney is, the, and you can tell by their posture, they're like bring it, bring it. And and I think Disney will win ultimately. I, I this is the kind of thing where um, even if Disney wins, it, it's just not a good look for them altogether as it relates to dealing with artists. I don't think anybody cares. I mean, I don't think it matters to to them that for this. Yeah, this maybe case. it doesn't. Uh, but I mean, the the thing too is like she's she's a big star. She's still a big star. Maybe she's come to the end of that rope with for with, like with a, them. The superhero is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, for for right, but is is um, I don't know. Like I, I have a hard time feeling bad for money lost by Disney or them claiming that yeah. amount of money that an artist has made is enough. Right, like it's enough. Like we should be happy with them. Like, and the whole COVID to me, maybe the biggest trigger was the COVID thing. Is like get out of here. Like you, Disney, really? Like this is stuff that's keeping you up at night. Like, get out of here. You know, you're taking that kind of position. And I do think, though, there is major incentives for them to try to bring up their stock price on driving a subscription. Uh, even though I wholeheartedly disagree with their model of, of you subscribe and still have to pay 30 bucks to watch a movie. Right? Yeah. That's crazy. I think it, it is That's insane. Crazy. And yet I just did it for Jungle what Princess. Happens. What's it so called? Happens. Jungle Cruise. Something with a strong slate. Yeah. I don't know how you pay 30 for that movie. Jungle Cruise, really, Charlie? You're talking smack about. Let a, me tell you something. Black. I agree with you. You're not. I'm not. <laughs> after having seen it, I would probably have rather seen Black Widow. Uh, we'll talk about that one next time. That's yeah. Funny. Look, I, callous disregard for the horrific, prolonged global effects of the COVID pandemic. It's like, whoa! Get out of here! Get out of here! All we're trying to do is save lives, and yeah, here all exactly. you're worried about is your stupid bonus. <laughs> your bonus. Right. By the way, it does bring up an interesting question, though, mm-hmm. about like. Um, I remember when, or like, think of it this way. Think of an NFL contract. Mm-hmm. NFL contracts have bonuses for, for touchdowns. Yep. They have bonuses for interceptions, things like that. But if the coach doesn't put you in, you're not getting any of those bonuses, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So someone on the Disney side could say, you're suing us for bonuses you didn't get for a decision we took that were within our rights to take. Yeah, uh, but, that, agree- but that's where the language of the agreement will, will kick in place, right? Where that's to be so like, hey, I also have to have the chance to play in the team. You can't just bench me. Like, see what I'm saying? Like, like, it's different in the case of sports because that is a that's the rules that they're that they're that they all, all under operated. But I bet for some of these players, I bet there's a thing here that you also can't like it, unreasonably withhold. unreasonably withhold someone from playing because you could say, hey, I'm gonna bench you the last three games because we're doing really well in our in our. I have to pay you. I have to have to pay you, and I bet in those cases you could probably sue them. 
Mm. Or if there there's already a clause there was for that. Or there's some kind of clause. I'm sure that has been considered. Because if you're an agent, you have to be like, and you have a player like that that can do that, you know, you have to consider stuff. If anybody ever wants to seriously lose some IQ points or just go numb from the neck down or neck up, read any of these contracts. I mean, these things are so exhaustive. That's why I find it so hard to believe. These things are like 100 pages. Yeah. And it's like, even though we said X, we still don't mean X in these 500 <laughs> different scenarios. And even when we do, I mean, right. it's just, it's a calculus problem. I, I mean, I've read these contracts. I think the interesting thing here will be as to, the degree that these kind of agreements need to be re-looked at or even how you think about distribution strategy for these films, right? You're seeing, you know, these hybrid releases by some. You're also seeing the opposite, right? And I was telling you this, like, so I drive by or run by the literally the Sony studio almost on a daily basis. And they, in their billboards for their films, they specifically put out only in theaters or for only for theatrical re- release. And I was like, that's becoming like a stamp of... <laughs> Like as a you know like what makes this more exclusive? You can't just get this in one of your one of your platforms, and that's means I've never seen it before. Yeah. I, it caught my attention that I like kind like, of ironic too in a way, right? Because, because like the you, theater experience the one that's dying, and now it's the premium, right? It's like the uh, thing that everyone right. wants. It's like it's, it's it's really interesting. We don't want to be in your stupid living room. Come to the theater. Exactly. All right, part three. Last one here. Uh, Courage or cringe? Spotify's CEO doesn't believe the platform has editorial responsibility over podcasts. Oh, Spotify! Uh, my, our boys from Spotify. So Daniel Eck, the CEO of podcast, was recently of uh, Spotify's. Is it Danish CEO or Swedish? Spotify. I don't, I don't know. Call CEO where, of podcast. Where, where's uh, where's it? Where are they based again? Uh, Spotify, St- Danish, Swedish. You know? They're Swedish. Oh, Swedish? Okay. They're Swedish. Yeah. He's a Swedish guy. Yeah. So uh, Daniel, like the CEO of Spotify, was mm-hmm. recently uh, interviewed by Axios, where he was asked whether the company should have editorial responsibility over podcasts like Joe Rogan, right? To which you know he responded that he does not believe that Spotify should have editorial control. And to this, he added, "We have a lot of really well-paid rappers on Spotify too, that make tens of millions of dollars, if not more, each year from Spotify." And we don't dictate what they're putting in their songs either. Can I can I stop right there on that yeah. one? Okay, true, but it is verbatim, literally verbatim Joe Rogan's arguments. Yes. So you can tell and there's a little a, bit of collusion, and it's a it's a it's a hairbreath. Well, it's a hair <laughs> no, but it's also kind of a hairbreath, like slightly racist too, in a way, right? It's like nobody said we have lots of rock songs, right. or whatever. <laughs> so a, you're making an assumption that all rap is black, number one, and number two, that only vulgarities that are objectionable to the point of requiring editorial consent would be in rap songs, or editorial well, control rather would be in rap songs. Why yeah, not yeah, mention? Yeah. Why yeah. not just mention music? You say rappers. Right, like, it's right, interesting. Right. And by the way, there is a lot of foul language in rap music. I'm not saying there isn't, but I'm just saying it's interesting that it's the exact same argument. And yeah. on top of that, it's like nobody has a problem with them saying it's like just rapping. There's a lot of crap that's foul right. mouth that's out there. <laughs> that That is. And it's just, it, it's a, it, it is a soundbite. I think at this point, it's like Joe Rogan is dictating what the soundbites are for the CEO yeah, super Spotify. Interesting. Good for him. Man. Like that dude has uh, put us in a really, you know, really good position. Maybe so, the, well, see, here's the interesting. Maybe the uh, guy's a genius because he knows it's exactly Rogan's argument. And anybody who's heard that argument from Rogan doesn't have a problem with Rogan. So therefore, the only people who haven't heard that argument are people who have a problem with Rogan. Therefore, I'll use it. It's actually could be pretty genius. <laughs> it might be it might be 3D chess. I, I think what's going to be interesting is is how he deals with it, which is kind of what we're going to get into, is like how he deals with it with internal employees because that's where the pressure he's going to get. Um, now, Rogan, as a reminder, signed a $100 million deal uh, back in May of 2020, right? 
uh, to make the Joe Rogan experience exclusively available on Spotify, which they did, uh, and it started at the end of 2020, right? Now, that move, of course, did not come without controversy, as last year, and we talked about this here, there was a number of times where Spotify employees were, you know, basically semi-protesting, right, expressing a lot of concern over the material in this podcast that they felt was uh, anti-transgender and or other complaints against some of the other content that he had, right? Now, now some of the more controversial episodes included one with Abigail Schreier, who's the author of, of of Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters, and Infowars owner Alex Jones, who you know talks a lot about coronavirus and misinformation on the on the podcast. Right? Although at this point, with misinformation on coronavirus, I don't know if anybody can actually say that about this. It's like you know, it is. It's <coughs> yeah. from a lab. It's not from a lab. Yeah, you can. That, you that don't spread coronavirus yeah. once you've been vaccinated. You do spread coronavirus right. once you've been vaccinated. Right. I mean, so that's, yeah, that's uh, fair. Fair. I'm not going to argue that, Charlie. I'm, I'm not, not going to argue this that. This is not about Alex Jones. It's not about Alex it's Jones. It's about misinformation of coronavirus. <laughs> and, Go ahead. Even Joe Rogan himself has come under some scrutiny for his comments regarding the vaccine, which he said that young, healthy people didn't need to take the vaccine, something that he then later on came out and backtracked on, right? Uh, so he, he's getting some kind of pressure, right? Mm. But uh, yeah, so as it relates to this, look, this is, a, this is a short and sweet, but probably lots to talk about as, we, as we've talked about, you know, more in the context of social platforms. But here, Courage or Cringe, or courage or cringe Spotify leadership solidifying their stance and letting creators create or CEO passing the buck to consumers for having to navigate between fact and fiction. You know, the two things that I think are really interesting about uh-huh. this is one is the fact that uh, Daniel Eck is equating a podcast with music. I think that distinction, there's two, there's two important things. That's one. So podcast equals music for the purposes of his editorial consideration. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The second one is, by arguing that they don't have editorial control over either, they're kind of making a platform argument, right? They're absolutely making a platform argument. In yeah. a situation where they are the exclusive owners of right. a piece of content that is in question largely. There may be other things, but this mm-hmm. is about Rogan, let's face it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is about Rogan. Yeah. I find that very difficult to make that argument logically. Okay, number one is I don't think podcasts as a format are music. I think music is art, okay? We have our definitions of what art is. I don't think all music is art because I think art should pull you towards something transcendent, but nevertheless, that's just for me. Where I think podcasts can run a bunch of different genres and gamuts and you can have journalism and you can Mm -hmm. have whatever, number one. Number two is I don't think Spotify is a kind of phone company type platform and I don't think you can make that case. And then furthermore, I think it's, the fact that Joe Rogan is exclusive means by definition only they can have control over it. If it was everywhere else, I could see you making that because, like, listen, this is uh, – it's electricity. Right, right. It's oxygen. Like, we have oxygen in our conference room and you have it in Google's conference room. We all have oxygen. But this is only on Spotify. And so they go, yeah, we're not responsible. Sorry. So as, as, much, as, as much as I believe that um, – as much as I believe that Joe Rogan should be left alone and nobody should mess with his show, mm-hmm. I think I come down on cringe on this. What? Because Charlie, I just I'm very shocked. I just don't think that you can make that argument with a straight face as he has. And I think that's what we're courage or cringing. And it's hard for me to be there, but I kind of think it's cringe. 
talk me out of it. Am I wrong? No, I'm not going to talk you out of it. I think that the whole argument that because we don't tell rappers, <laughs> I love that, what to say in their songs, we shouldn't be able to dictate what anyone else is saying as the justification. I just, I think it's a, I, I just think it's a dumb argument to think of it that way because then you're, you're not giving the 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 right weight to the importance of actually thinking about something that is could be inform is it, that falls within the entertainment and information, which is pure entertainment, right? I think when we were kind of teeing up for this thing, I mentioned to you like look at like saying that hey, if I'm gonna not gonna tell a filmmaker what he can write a script about and and put a movie in my platform, I'm also not gonna tell someone that I you know that my breaking news or my new segments what they can do, and I just I just think those are two different things. Those are two very different types of content. If he really wants, if he thinks like, hey, I don't, I don't feel that, or I feel that Joe Rogan, I support what he's saying, and I don't want to dictate what he, what, what he says in, in our, in our platform, and I will bear whatever responsibility comes from that. I'm okay with that, if that's what he's saying, right? But his argument as to why he feels that he shouldn't be, to your point, being a pure platform argument, I don't think it makes any, any sense, especially in the context that what they're doing is, is going down this route of all exclusivity across the board and, and all, all these different kind of content. Like your exclusivity. It's really all, hard to to make that argument where you could only make it see it in this in this platform. It's almost like exclusivity. It's like it's inversely proportional, right? The degree to which you have exclusivity, or actually no, it's it's directly proportional. The degree that you have exclusivity is the degree to which editorial considerations are brought to bear. Like almost yeah, even think of it this way. Like at that point, what makes what distinguishes exclusivity versus an original versus Spotify original? Like if we didn't I mean in terms of for the consumer, nothing. Nothing. It's right? just like, it's only available here. That's the consumer value prop. That's all I care about. So where do I consumer, get it here? Right. So from a consumer perspective, the content that you're making available only here versus you creating it yourself. It's, it's a distinction without a difference. There you go. So I think for that reason, I don't see as he, I don't see them being able to just simply wash their hands from having any say whatsoever. I'm okay with them saying, I don't want to tell them what to say. I'm and come what okay. may. And whatever happens, happens. But I believe strong enough and you know, freedom of speech and, and their freedom to say things. And if, if we end up getting whatever hit one way or the other because of that, I'm okay with that. Right? I believe that strongly in the voice that creators to have in these platforms and I'm going to be that you know that place where they can have their voice. I'm and okay it, with that. And I like, think that's, that's my fine. point is I think he, he almost is arguing too much. I think he's going too far in the direction of – and it makes his position a bit uh, like untenable. Right. If he had said the, what you said, which is like, look, we're not going to touch the show. That's the deal we made with this guy. And further, it kind of accords with how I feel about the world that we shouldn't be telling people what to, what to create. If you don't want to be a customer, God bless you. Right. That's consistent. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, all right. I may agree or may not, but like that makes sense. Yeah, cancel yeah. my subscription, maybe. Okay, fine. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I think, and I think that makes sense. And this tie to like rap, we right? Like picking on rappers as being the the only ones. It is kind of hilarious, but yeah, that's why to me, I'm very cringe on this one for mm -hmm. that reason. Uh, I really wish he would just come out and just say it. And, and but I do find it hilarious. What to your point is like he's using literally the talking points from Joe Rogan. So you know, at that point, who's a uh, you know, which is the tail, which is the dog? <laughs> Who's wagging whom at that point, right? Uh, as it relates to Spotify? They, uh, they definitely um, have been talking, I would say, on, yeah. on some level, or at least through some interlocutors. But um, interesting. I'm sure there'll be more to come on sure. that. All right. Has you say anything else? We got an exciting show next week. Yes, we have Lucy Flores, uh, CEO of Loose Collective. 
um, will be on the show, and, and we're excited to talk to her. She's, I believe, um, was the first Latina elected to the Nevada State Assembly, too, representing yeah. the 28th district. So uh, somebody to uh, contrast our last we're week's going Guess What Joe Collins. We're going through our list of uh, politicians now. Right. Uh, this is like a new, a, new, a new era for us. We, I'm, I'm excited about that. And we tried to find uh, politicians who could not be further apart from one another as <laughs> back-to-back guests on the show. So, yeah, so stay tuned for Lucy coming on the show. Uh, um, looking forward to that uh, very much and all their exciting episodes to come. Keep listening. Please remember to check out www.patreon.com backslash the diversity remix. Subscribe to this show. Share it with your friends. We keep doing what we're doing. Uh, And we'll see you again next time on another episode of TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the diversity remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, coworkers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez, with production services by Jose Manuel Durquidi and Luis Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Network. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.